And welcome, friends, to the Generations Broadcast. Kevin Swanson, your host with you today, and Steve Vaughn also with me as we take a look at what's going on around the nation today. And friends, our nation is in turmoil, and largely because we have abandoned the fear of God as the beginning of wisdom and knowledge, not just in the schools, but also all the way through our politics, our culture. We have seen a denial of God everywhere, and that has resulted in a severe problem for the nation, a severe problem in terms of the socioeconomic condition of the nation, the political condition of the nation. We are certainly seeing a lack of unity across this nation, and we are facing a potential division across this country on fundamental issues, that is, issues like abortion and homosexuality. When it comes to killing, I mean murdering, tens of millions of children, friends, there are those who take one position, there are those who take another position. And this is not exactly those who take a position on whether we should have a 55-mile-per-hour speed limit on the freeways. This is something besides that. It's a pretty severe issue. It's as similar to slavery in the 1860s, and perhaps even more severe, because this is a violation of the Sixth Commandment, the uh, the killing of tens of millions of babies, and this makes for a significant time in this nation's history, largely because, well, uh, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg just uh, went to meet her maker, and she will stand before the judgment seat of Almighty God, as we all will someday. And now this... President of the United States, President Trump, has an opportunity to appoint a third Supreme Court justice. And this is the biggest test. I think this is the biggest hinge point politically in my lifetime since 1964 when I was born. We haven't seen more significant moments in this nation's history since the Warren Court of the 1950s, 1960s. Steve, this is big time. This is big time. Who... The President of the United States appoints to the Supreme Court justice seat this week will determine something of the future. And here, here's why. Because, because Republicans have contributed to the maintenance of abortion and homosexuality for 50 years, that is, the majority of those who brought us Roe v. Wade were appointed by Republican presidents. Republicans brought us the curse of abortion. Republicans have contributed to abortion for all these years. Reagan, Governor Reagan, brought abortion to America in 1967 as the first state to legitimize abortion. This is the state of California. George H.W. Bush brought Planned Parenthood funding in 1972. And a majority of Republican appointees brought us Roe v. Wade in 1973. So the Republicans have a lot of repenting to do. The Republicans, the Republicans all over again have a lot of repenting to do, big time. Remember, Reagan appointed two good guys, two bad guys. George H.W. appointed one good guy, one bad guy to the Supreme Court. George W. Bush appointed one good guy, one bad guy to the Supreme Court. And Donald Trump, thus far, one good guy, one bad guy to the Supreme Court. That is, we have been on the fence The Republicans, not just the president, remember, it's more than that. It's the Senate that confirms it's the entire Republican infrastructure and all the rest. It's the Republicans that have refused to repent and have stayed on the fence two to two, one to one, one to one, one to one. And now 
Now, Steve, we've got an opportunity to break the tie. This is the third appointment on the part of President Trump. What will he do? That's a big question now. It's a huge question. Will he appoint Ted Cruz? Uh, True Blue tested pro-lifer. He has a record. It's one thing to appoint somebody who doesn't have a record, so nobody really knows. It's another thing to appoint somebody who's got a record. And he's a sure pro-life position on the Supreme Court. You know, when Gorsuch was appointed by the president, what, three years ago, we warned the Republicans that Gorsuch was actively supporting and leading in the most liberal church in Colorado. He was pro-homosexual to the core from the beginning. And he still is. And that's why, of course, we're dealing with the Bostock decision of a month ago, persecuting Christians. So here we have a pro-homosexual persecute Christians majority on the Supreme Court in the United States, thanks to the Republicans and Democrats as well. But here we're facing a pro-homosexual persecution majority of 6-3. And by the way, this particular appointment might take us to 5-4. It's a possibility. We could come back to 5-4 on this one. So Christians may not be persecuted in America if we can get two more halfway decent Supreme Court justices over the next, say, couple of three, four years. So this is our number one priority. Keep Christians out of jail. I realize abortion is important as well. But we're down to a 6-3 majority on the side of the wicked on the bench, thanks to two Republican appointees. So that's where we are, Steve. And I think we are approaching the most important moment, politically speaking, in my lifetime, this will determine something of the future of the nation, especially if a Republican president breaks the one one tie on a true blue pro-lifer for the Supreme Court. Yeah, and that's because Supreme Court justices are appointed for life. And so if he appoints somebody who is younger as well, that is a strong pro-lifer, strong strong Christian Christian principles, then that could make changes for a long time. But the and, and it's it is so important that even the the Democrats, the very liberal Democrats are saying if that happens then we're stacking the court once we get the presidency and the Senate back then we're going to bump it up to 15 justices and make sure that it's liberal all the way through, just like FDR tried. I think it was FDR that tried to do that back in back in the day, tried to put it up to 15 Supreme Court justices. So everybody on both sides knows that this is a huge decision, and it is, it is very momentous. It is something we need to look forward to. I think it's going to happen, what, on Friday was one of the target dates, is that mm-hmm. when, they are, when the name is going yeah. to come out. And that's going to really cause ruckus on all sides of the issue. Well, we certainly are going to see something of all-out war, politically speaking, breaking out on the at the Capitol and on the streets. I think we're seeing the nation coming to a head here as to whether or not the nation will commit to an agenda of pure wickedness or whether there will be something of a spirit of repentance across this country. And, you know, again, you know, politics is just a revelation. It's it reveals what was already there. So all we're saying is whatever we get with this appointment, whatever we get with the 2020 election will be something of a manifestation of the heart of the nation. It will be something of a manifestation of the commitment of the nation to God 
or against God. And it seems to me, again, we're not seeing that the churches are rising up. We're not seeing the pastors rising up and committing themselves to an agenda of righteousness. We're just not seeing that enough. And I want to deal with Pastor Tim Keller's Twitter remarks he just made several days ago on this edition of the program. Be back with more in just a moment. Ever since the creation of the Garden of Eden, Satan has been working his hardest to erase the knowledge of God and seduce the creatures made in God's image to think that they are the center of the universe. One look at today's society and you see his progress. Humanistic thought has inundated our culture and we can trace its roots directly back to the classroom and the textbooks we're setting in front of our kids. That's why every Christian homeschool parent should have a curriculum that's not only rock solid academically, but most importantly will point students back to their creator as the source of all wisdom and knowledge and to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. If you've been struggling to find such a curriculum, look no further. Here at Generations, we've spent over 15 years developing our Christian discipleship curriculum to help Christian homeschool parents like you pass on the faith to your children by teaching a God-centered view of life and integrating the Bible into every lesson. Our goal is to not only help you meet your students' academic needs, but also to assist you in discipling your children for generations to come. So get started today with our Christian Discipleship Curriculum and watch your children marvel, learn, and mature as they embark on a God-focused learning adventure to discover more about the world around them and the one who made it all. You can learn more about our curriculum resources and pick up our newly released 5th grade curriculum pack today at generations.org slash curriculum. That's generations.org slash curriculum. And welcome back to the Generations broadcast. Kevin Swanson with you as well, Steve on. And today, taking a look at, well, the nation's political situation, and sadly, there isn't a good, solid Christian pastoral leadership in the area of the civil magistrate, largely because, well, we are not teaching people concerning the commandments of God. Jesus said to go out there and disciple the nations, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And that includes Old and New Testaments. And there isn't much of an equipping of the man of God for every good work by the scripture. And therefore, there isn't much in terms of, well, helping the American Christian populace to vote correctly or to know what it would be to establish a Christian, biblically-based civil magistrate. Well, most recently, Pastor Tim Keller, he's a PCA pastor from New York, and he has opened the door for people to vote Democrat, and he's got a series of Twitter posts that went public over the weekend. And I think my biggest problem with this series of Twitter posts is that he cloaks his words And that itself is really too bad because Pastor Keller's not speaking plainly. He's using code language to open up the opportunity for people to vote Democrat, Republican, pro-life, pro-abortion as if it doesn't matter. And please understand, Tim Keller is probably the most popular writer with Reformed people, evangelicals, liberals. He works in all camps. 
but he doesn't come out clearly to say what he's really saying. And, uh, and so he presents it such that he might not offend some conservatives while he would delight the souls of many a liberal who would love to vote for Biden as president of the United States in the November elections. And so that, that's the point that bothers me more than anything else. I just wish that Tim Keller would come out and bring out biblical principle and apply it to the present situation in clear language. It would, it would be nice if he didn't obfuscate. Now, one thing he says, he doesn't want us portraying candidates and their agendas as wicked. That is, he doesn't want us to demonize, which that's the Webster's Dictionary definition of to demonize is to present uh, persons or agendas as wicked. And he doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to demonize the other side. Now, the Bible does that. That's the problem is the Bible demonizes. The Bible comes out and says, this man was wicked. This man did not do that which was right in the sight of the Lord. This guy did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And it seems to me that it's appropriate for us to label these things. It's appropriate for us to say at some point, Hitler was evil. Hitler had an evil agenda. It's it's okay to do that kind of thing. Now, I realize that there are limited differences between Republicans and Democrats, and I get that. But here's the Twitter post itself, and let me read this. Steve, you got it in front of you as well, and I'll just bring it out. Yeah. He starts out by saying Democrats and Republicans, quote, offer a potpourri of different positions on these and many other topics, most of which, as just noted, the Bible does not speak to directly. So he wants to minimize the differences between Democrats and Republicans. In some cases, that's true. There's little difference. They're both very wicked, especially when it comes to legitimizing homosexuality, redistributing the wealth, and Planned Parenthood funding. It was almost impossible to get the Republicans to vote against Planned Parenthood funding on the U.S. Senate side of things, and it's only been the President of the United States that take, taken something of a hard line against the funding of Planned Parenthood, the largest abortion provider in the country. So he wants to minimize the differences between Democrats and Republicans. And again, I would agree that they're both very wicked, especially when it comes to legitimizing homosexuality, redistributing wealth and abortion. But but that's not his position. Tim Keller's position appears to be that he's minimizing the difference between a pro-abortion Democrat and a pro-life Republican who wants to keep illegal aliens out of the country or wants to oppose some regulation or what have you relating to global warming. See, again, he wants to minimize the difference between the pro-abortion Democrat and a pro-life Republican who wants to keep illegal aliens out of the country. And so, you know, unless he becomes more specific in these areas, then he's he's not training his people to observe whatsoever Jesus has commanded in the word of God. He's not equipping the man of God for every good work by applying the scriptures that have been given for that end. Let me go on with this, Steve. He says, the Bible binds my conscience to care for the poor, but it does not tell me the best practical way to do it. Any particular strategy, high taxes, government services versus low taxes, private charity may be good and wise. This means when it comes to taking political positions, voting, determining alliances, and political involvement, the Christian has liberty of conscience. Christians cannot say to other Christians, no Christian can vote for somebody, as in no Christian can vote for Hitler, or no Christian could vote for Stalin, or no Christian could vote for Biden, or every Christian must vote for Trump, etc., etc., unless you find a biblical commandment to that effect. Now, uh, 
I, I don't think this is helpful. I think this is obfuscating. I think this is opening up the opportunity for his followers to vote either Democrat, either for Biden or for Trump in the 2020 elections. Yeah, and the the, the issue I think is that your party ends up trumping person anyway. So you may end up with somebody who is technically a pro-life Democrat, but for the most part, they're going to vote the Democratic line or they get lambasted. It's the same with Republicans. They're always going to vote the the Republican line, especially when it comes down to critical issues like this. And, and so party always trumps person and when you when you're voting democrat because somebody says well i'm for the poor you've got to ask them the questions you know, do you fear god are you for abortion are you for homosexual marriage are you for you know all of those other things because that's what they're going to end up voting for even if they are pro you know let's help the poor people that that's that's where it gets really squishy. But Tim Keller is ignoring these issues. Yeah. The bottom line is he's ignoring these issues. He's not addressing these issues, not developing this as watershed. He's not using the law of God as the standard by which to determine which sins are more egregious in the sight of God than others. And I think because of his antinomian perspective, he's not willing to apply the law of God to these particular conditions. And therefore, this kind of Christianity becomes entirely irrelevant and oftentimes counterproductive to maintaining anything of a righteous standard across a nation. By the way, somebody jumped in on him and said, hey, Tim, this was on the Twitter account. Uh, Hey, Tim, no Christian should vote for anyone who advocates the murder of babies in the womb, and in some cases, like the governor of Virginia, even after they're born. This is indescribable evil, period. And he comes back and says, the Bible tells me abortion is a sin and a great evil, but it doesn't tell me the best way to decrease or end abortion in this country, nor which policies are most effective. As you follow the Twitter run on this, you find a liberal evangelical university professor jumping in, and she says Democrats, you know, when they run the country, the abortion rates are actually lower, meaning that we really need to vote Democrat because when Democrats run the country, the abortion rate lowers because Democrats tend to support and pay for contraceptives, that is abortifacients, and of course, you know, there's 10 times more babies killed by abortifacients than by surgical abortions, but apparently she's good with that. Because, you see, Democrats have always been better at concealing the bloody surgical abortion thing than the Republicans. So, so that anyway, that's how the liberal evangelical university prof jumps in on the Twitter run on this. You know, a couple issues. One is he's not willing to bring abortion to the front as a watershed issue. He just won't do it. And instead, it's concern for the poor. That That's his deal. And his, you know, Marxist sympathies have never been a secret. But again, does that comport with God's law as referring to the civil magistrate? That this should be the number one political concern for Christians. Now, of course, Liberal theologians have been talking this way for a hundred years, roughly since Karl Marx and his redistribution of the wealth scheme. The Bible actually doesn't present redistribution of the wealth as the number one priority for the civil magistrate. You don't get that from Romans 13. You certainly don't get it from Deuteronomy 9 and verse 6. I'm sorry, Genesis 9 verse 6, where the only civil law instituted at the time of the Noahic Covenant turns out to be, if man sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, meaning that capital punishment for murder is, is the first thing 
the first reason why God establishes a civil magistrate, and it's only by his authority that a civil magistrate has a right to engage anyway. And if a civil magistrate is worth its salt, if a civil magistrate is involved in what it is supposed to be doing, then it needs to be engaged in this matter of addressing abortion and murder, certainly the murder of innocence. But that is exactly what is not being prioritized by Tim Keller's agenda here. The Bible presents murder as the number one concern for the civil magistrate, uh, whereas this particular tweet presents care for the poor to be the issue. Then he argues that the Bible is audiophora on this one. That is, the Bible is completely neutral on whether to address the issue of the poor by Marxism or by voluntary charities. That's, a, that's totally audiophora. The Word of God has nothing to say about this. Well, it turns out the Word of God has a lot to say about this. And again, the Word of God is there to equip the man of God for every good work. And when pastors are unwilling to bring the Word of God to bear and unwilling to equip the man of God for every good work, unwilling to train and to disciple the nations by teaching them to observe everything Jesus has commanded in the Word of God, then we have abandoned our post as pastors and teachers for the church of Jesus and for the kingdom of God. Thou shalt not steal, Steve, has implications to the state. Seems to me that Tim Keller is saying thou shalt not steal has zero implications for the state. If the king wants to reappropriate property to make the state uh, wine, so he just grabs a guy's vineyard so that he can, you know, redistribute the wine to his friends or to the poor or what have you, the state can do whatever it wants. Ahab can do whatever he wants with Naboth's vineyard. That seems to be the point that Tim Keller is making here. Yeah, it's just it is just crazy that how squishy he is and how he seems to want to just to appease everyone. I mean, the the voluntary distribution of your own wealth is all over scripture that we are to care for the poor, that we are to care for the widow and the orphan, but that's on our plate. It's not on the government's plate to come to your door and hold a gun to your head and say, give me money so I can give it to the poor. That That's not at all what the Bible says. The, the church and, and the people of the church are the ones who are there to care for those types of issues, not the government in the first place anyway. It actually starts with family and goes to church. That's what you find in Deuteronomy 14.28, you know, the point that the Bible presents voluntary charity and a distribution of your own charity to your neighbors and within your own community, not not in terms of some large bureaucratic redistribution of wealth forced at the point of the sword. That's not what you get in Scripture. What do you find? At the end of every third year, you should bring out the tithe of your produce of that year and store it up within your gates. Well, there it is. Store it up within your gates. What? Within your gates. Within the gates of your own house. And the Levite, because he has no proportion or inheritance with you, and the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, who's within your gates, may come and eat and be satisfied that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand which you do. And Acts chapter 5, you know, the Marxists have always pointed to Acts chapter 4 and chapter 5 in terms of the redistribution of what people sold their property, they gave it to the widows, et cetera, et cetera. But Acts chapter 5 is very clear where Ananias and Sapphira were doing this fakey thing as if they were, you know, pious enough to sell all their property and redistribute all their wealth to the poor. And the Peter comes to them and says, Ananias, why has Satan so filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? 
and after it was sold, was it not in your own control? In other words, the wealth was within your own control. You had the choice to put it wherever you wanted to put it. It wasn't, this wasn't the state putting a gun to your head to redistribute this wealth. No, no, no. That's not the biblical approach. That's Karl Marx's approach. It's interesting that Charles Spurgeon and Karl Marx lived at the same time, the same place in London. Do you know that? I did not know that. Yeah. It's Karl Marx and Charles Spurgeon. They're buried near each other in London, you know, and they both influenced the world at the same time. Huge influence upon the world. Karl Marx did most of his writings, obviously. Charles Spurgeon did his preaching, his writing, right there in the city of London. There you have two worldviews against it. Now, sadly, Marx won. Spurgeon lost in the Western world. Marx is cleaning up right now, everywhere. But this is what Charles Spurgeon would say about Karl Marx. He actually responded to Marx's ideas in his sermons. And here's a couple of examples. You can find them throughout Spurgeon's sermons. So German rationalism now has ripened into socialism and may yet pollute the mass of mankind and lead them to overturn the foundations of society. Well, hasn't that happened? <laughs> That's exactly what's happened. That's the destruction of society. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's reason why 40, 50, 60 percent of kids are born outside of wedlock. There's a reason why 63 percent of kids are born or conceived are killed by contraceptives, abortifacients, and abortions largely paid for by Obamacare and other socialist systems. Yes, exactly. Charles Spurgeon nailed it. He says, this will pollute the mass of mankind, lead them to overturn the foundations of society. Then advanced principles will hold carnival and free thought. will riot with the vice and blood which were years ago the insignia of the age of reason. I say not that it will be so, but it should not wonder if it came to pass, for deadly principles are abroad and certain ministers are spreading them, meaning there are certain pastors spreading them. Even in the 1880s, you had pastors spreading these horrible ideas from Karl Marx. Well, we still have that to this day, my friends. Also, this one more thing you said. Great schemes of socialism have tried and found lacking. Let us look to regeneration by the Son of God, and we shall not look in vain. Well, other examples as well, but Spurgeon took on the giant Nephilim, Karl Marx, who brought about the destruction of the Western world over the last 140 years, and sadly, not too many Christian pastors are standing up and waging the good war against these ideas that have been so massively corrupting to Western societies. And friends, if you apply God's law, then you're going to make value decisions. And I don't think that Tim Keller's application of God's word allows for us to apply the law of God in a value decision in the voting booth. In the 2020 elections. I just don't think that's, that's, that's happening here. Now, let's suppose there's this candidate running for office, Steve. He's a socialist who wants to provide <laughs> 24% of the GNI to redistributed wealth. And by the way, he's also committed to killing 6 million Jews. The problem is Tim won't let me use the Bible to make that value decision as to whether this is a righteous candidate worthy of my vote or a wicked candidate. That's too polarizing. That's too demonizing. Don't you dare go there. Don't you dare do that. Tim won't let me apply the word of God to make a value decision relating to whether I vote for this candidate who wants to redistribute 24% of the GNI for welfare, but on the other side of the coin, he also wants to kill 6 million Jews. He's not going to let me use the word of God to apply 
to this particular situation. The scriptures tell us that there are some sins more egregious in the sight of God than others. The scriptures tell us that there are priorities for the civil magistrate. The scriptures paint an accurate picture as to what constitutes a godly, righteous, God-fearing candidate and what isn't, and we're just not getting it by this advice, this pastor, this mainstream pastor, this evangelical reformed pastor is applying and uh, encouraging for the voters who will go to the booth in uh, the November elections. Yeah. Tim Keller is saying that you can vote your conscience, but if you're really voting your conscience and your conscience belongs to God, you cannot vote for somebody who is pro-abortion, pro-homosexual marriage, pro-redistribution of wealth. You can't vote for the Democratic platform. That's just plain and simple, it seemed to me. Yeah, it does. Proverbs 17, 15, uh, again, plainly tells us, he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. So it's not for us to justify the wicked. On what basis, you ask? And it's got to be on the basis of God's law, on the basis of God's word, on the basis of what God has presented for the civil magistrate. Granted, the civil magistrate is not there to clean up the whole nation and to make everybody a Christian. We get that. But the civil magistrate has been given certain responsibilities and priorities from Romans 13, Genesis 9, 6, etc., And it seems to me that we're just not seeing this applied by the mass of evangelicalism. And Pastor Tim Keller is just one representation of what the rest of the nation is doing. The law of God has got to make the determination. You simply cannot vote for the guy who says LGBT rights, that is homosexual rights, is my number one commitment. The guy who says my number one commitment is to promote homosexuality and homosexual behavior and transgenderism and to persecute any Christian that might take a stand in the public sphere, whether it be in the area of accommodation industry or whether it be in the college or the church sphere. My number one commitment is to persecute the living daylights out of Christians who stand against LGBT rights. Now, you simply cannot vote for a guy who stands for that position. That's the top Democrat in the country, by the way. He, he's, he's publicly stated that LGBT rights is his number one commitment. It, if a pastor allows for voting for this kind of a person, he needs to be kicked out of the denomination, like overnight. If he stands for Nero, if he stands for the persecution of Christians who stand against the neuronic agenda for homosexual marriage and everything else that Nero is doing— then you, you need to excommunicate that guy from the church. He's, he's not supporting the cause of righteousness here. You, you can't be promoting the wicked by voting for the wicked or opening up the opportunity for people to vote for wicked people who have a wicked agenda by their own admission. Friends, this is a watershed issue, and, and this, these sorts of times determine whether someone is committing himself to Christ or committing himself against Christ. This is the kind of moment at which men will either stand for righteousness or fall for wickedness, and we are certainly seeing people go to the either direction. We saw that happen with the CCCU, the Christian 
College Association and the National Evangelical Association as well that took the position of persecuting the bakers and the candlestick makers that oppose homosexual marriage. We saw that as they embraced the Utah Compromise at the beginning of 2020. Friends, these are the moments that try men's souls. These are the moments that test as to whether there is any faith, whether there is any faith in Jesus and commitment to the commandments of God. These are the moments that test whether someone is a Christian or not a Christian, whether somebody is an enemy of Christ or a friend of Christ, whether they love the world or whether they love Christ, they will fall on one side or the other at times like these. This is Kevin Swanson. I encourage you to our little book, The Story of Freedom, which deals with these issues from a distinctively Christian biblical perspective. I encourage you to that book, the Story of Freedom, available at our website, generations.org or kevinswanson.com. This is Kevin Swanson and Steve Vaughn, and we invite you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation. <laughs>